The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. This is Dom Bettinelli. I want to encourage you to stick around after the end of today's episode when we'll have a special extra bonus for you. Jimmy, Father Corey, and I recently recorded a special episode of Secrets of Star Trek for our patrons at patreon.com slash StarQuest to thank them for their generosity and making this and all our shows at StarQuest possible. We discussed the latest news concerning new Star Trek TV shows and new seasons and a movie and gave them early exclusive access. But now we're sharing it with you to show you one of the benefits of being a patron. We hope you enjoy it and hope you consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash StarQuest. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode 151. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the Enterprise episode, Sleeping Dogs. Joining me today on the panel are Father Cory Stika. Hi, Father Cory. How's it going, Dom? Very well, thanks. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) And... Folks, remember to follow The Secrets of Star Trek in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, your favorite podcast app, or on the SQPN YouTube channel, where you should also hit the bell to get notifications. And be sure to stick around to the end of the episode. We have some more of your listener feedback. Jimmy, was your whatever, is that a, about the uh, podcast or about this episode of Enterprise? Oh, about the episode, of course. <laughs> I thought so. Um, yeah, thought it's so. just a <laughs> meh episode. It's boring. It's like, what is the point of this one? Yeah, the yeah, it's it's about as energetic as a sleeping dog, so it's an appropriate. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it gives us more pre TOS Klingon, I think, is the idea. But let's let let me let me give you a quick recap of the episode, and we can we can go from there. The Enterprise stops to examine a Class Nine gas giant and discovers a ship and life signs deep in the atmosphere. T'Pol, Reed, and Hoshi take a shuttle to go investigate and find a disabled Klingon scout vessel with the crew apparently unconscious. Uh, or at least most of the crew, they try to work out how to save the ship and crew before it descends too far into the atmosphere, and it's crushed like a tin can when they're attacked by a Klingon who steals their shuttle pod and strands them there. Enterprise intercepts the shuttle, and Archer has to negotiate with the hostile and suspicious Klingon woman to help her and her crew. Phlox figures out that the Klingons have been poisoned with a neurotoxin that they ingested in some bad ale they stole from people who apparently were done being victimized by Klingons in the ultimate uh, <laughs> workplace refrigerator uh, prank. <laughs> if you know, mm. if you get that reference, let's talk about it in a second. Meanwhile, on the Klingon ship, they start using the explosions from photon torpedoes to raise the ship high enough in the atmosphere to make uh, contact with Enterprise. Archer takes the Enterprise into the atmosphere, makes contact with the crew, gets the Klingon woman on board. She helps restart the engines. Kabinka banga boom. And then rather than express gratitude, the Klingon captain tries attacking the Enterprise, which in disgust flies away. Yes, the ship literally is in disgust and flies away. <laughs> yeah. So 
yes. Uh, the title of the episode of Sleeping Dogs is, of course, a reference to the old phrase, better to let sleeping dogs lie, which is not necessarily true, right? Because <laughs> if they'd well, let sleeping dogs lie, they would have died, right? Yeah, so this this episode is trying to, in addition to showing us Klingons, this episode is trying to show a progression in, in a very paint-by-numbers way in the evolution of Archer and Hoshi. Hoshi, mm-hmm. thus far, has been very skittish about mm-hmm. all this space travel stuff, and now she's volunteering to go on a mission. And they openly acknowledge this is a change in attitude on her part. At which point I wrote in my notes, Hoshi's new resolve will be tested or it will just be bad writing if they, <laughs> if they let it, if they let her new resolve drop, which is what they did. Yeah. Archer, meanwhile, is, is theoretically learning more about how to interact with alien races, including Klingons, instead of just having this boyish, gee whiz, golly gosh, let's all be friends attitude that he's had up to now. And this episode theoretically teaches him that he needs to learn to think like other members of other races, including Klingons, if he's going to deal with them successfully. And so, yeah, it kind of takes the edge off of the let sleeping dogs lie thing. That was to Paul's attitude from the beginning of we shouldn't Mm -hmm. mess with these people. They, they, they are, they're passed out at their stations this is an honorable death for them. It assures them a path to the afterlife. They don't want us to rescue them. And if we try, they will try to kill us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She keeps telling them over and over again. Klingons over and wa- over. And over and over. Yeah, it gets tiresome. Uh, that Klingons don't ask for help. Klingons don't abandon ship. Klingons don't surrender. Klingons don't, you know. And it's, and I was like, but that's not true. We've seen Klingons in DS9 and Voyager yes. and TNG all doing that. Yeah, yeah. It's Klingons don't have escape pods and all kinds of stuff. It's like, okay, then Klingons would not be out in space if they had <laughs> that level of asociality in their culture. Right. Well, and and she you know, supposedly knows all this stuff about Klingons, but she didn't recognize a Klingon ship. I know. As soon as it comes on screen, even though they, they're kind of fuzzing it up a little bit with static, I said, oh, that's a Klingon ship. Right. Yeah. I mean, and you, none of them recognize it. You at least recognize the configuration if you don't recognize the, the specific m- model of ship. You say, that's what how Klingons design their ships. Hey, you know, uh, yeah, it's kind of silly. And, and admittedly, this is, this is still to Paul being the, where I'm the superior Vulcan, you're the inferior humans. You know, you need to do what I say, and you're ridiculous to do otherwise. Right. And she's, again, semi-proven right, although it all ends up well, but she's, you know, they, they prove the right that, you know, the Klingons will not react well to this. <laughs> There's an interesting flaw, another interesting flaw in the writing of Hoshi in this, which is on Enterprise, Hoshi's like to the to Archer, I need to go on this away mission. You know, what if he's like, well, they have universal translators. Well, what if they have to read signs and consoles? They'll yeah. read me. Well, on the ship, she, Paul tells her to start translating the consoles. And she says, well, you know, reading Klingon is different from speaking it. Well, that's yeah, why you're here. And- <laughs> and just whip out your iPhone and use the augmented reality translate that we have right now. Yeah, right. Why could they not uh, uh, imagine that? Yeah, if you have a, a, a smartphone and you've got, let's say, it's a package of food from China or something, and it's got Chinese writing all over it, you can take your phone and and use Google Translate and yep. hold it over the writing, and it will translate it for you. 
It might right. be a rough translation, but it'll give you the general idea of what it's saying, usually. You'll see plasma injector on the screen, yeah. <laughs> which is yeah. what she has to do. Yeah, I thought that was a, a weird disconnect in the like, like nobody caught that. Like was she lying? Oh, and that wasn't the only that wasn't the only, you know, technologically dumb thing in this because when the the shuttle pod, okay, so Hoshi has trouble reading the Klingon stuff on their control panels as they're trying to figure out the Klingon ship. The Klingon who has not even heard of humans and doesn't know what they are mm-hmm. is able to fly their shuttle pod and activate yeah, no the problem. Co- the radio system, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that makes no sense. And then they use the grappler to, since they don't have tractor beams, it, on one of my repeated criticisms of Enterprise, at least in my internal monologue, is how they never really take away a technology that we saw in the original series. They take, they, they make it look harder to use, but they never get rid of it. So mm-hmm. they it they've got a transporter it's just a little harder to use. Instead of shields they have hull plating. Instead of phasers they have phase pistols. In mm-hmm. fact of fo- in place of photon torpedoes they have some other equivalent of photon torpedoes. Instead of a tractor beam they've got a grappler. And it's come on guys. I mean it it's okay to have them just missing a technology right. and then right around yeah. it. Saying hull plating to full is exactly the same as saying shields to full. You know, it doesn't, it it's right. doesn't, it's just a cosmetic difference. It's not a real writing difference, and that's cheap. Well, okay, here they use a grappling hook to retrieve the shuttle that the Klingon is flying. Hasn't anyone heard of Bluetooth? <laughs> right. You know, can't, can't you just, can't, can't you just get the shuttle to come back by Bluetooth? Command codes, command codes, Wrath of Khan. I mean, they had it all the way back in 1983. (laughs) And we have it now. We can take control of planes and fly them remotely. Well, I mean, they have these, the torpedoes, which are literally just rocket rockets. Yeah. That's literally all they are. They're missiles. Yeah. But photon torpedoes exist. In this episode, Malcolm says, ooh, photon photon torpedoes, those sound interesting. Right, right. The Klingons already have the technology, so... Klingons have it, the Vulcans have it, the humans just don't. That's all it is, which they will eventually. Another interesting element they add to this episode, and I'm not sure why they added it, was Malcolm's cold. Why does Malcolm have a cold? I I wanted to talk about that. So there's... (laughs) You know how boring this episode is? Well... (laughs) I, I like we commented on a previous first season Enterprise episode. There's clear evidence of padding, and it, that it, the padding in this episode starts in the very first scene, which is Hoshi for some reason and Malcolm in a cargo bay doing target practice with a new type of phase pistol that Hoshi's having trouble getting used to, and this plays absolutely no role in the plot. It's right. She just never there. uses it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just there to fill up time before the opening credits. That's its only function. So it's clear padding. And also, he develops his first sign of a cold in this. And its only function in the plot is to set us up for a second padding scene where he goes down to sickbay to, and he's suffering more from the cold now in the presence of Dr. Phlox. And they talk about the common cold, and you'd think we'd have a cure for it now. And how did he get it? And and it's it's it it this is just more padding. Mm. 
because it also plays no role in the plot. Now, several of the things that they say in this are ridiculous, like Phlox postulates that that he got the cold because someone back at space dock was handling a contain was packing a container and breathed into it and it's the virus has been live in there for 5 months okay um no that's not how <laughs> viruses work as we right. have all learned <laughs> and it the a cold virus is not going to you're not going to have sufficient titers of live cold virus for 5 months in a container with no ability for the virus to replicate itself, it will have degraded to the point of non-infectability by that point. But all of this is just padding as illustrated by the fact that, oh, also, the doctor says, well, I don't, Malcolm wants to go on this mission, and the doctor says, well, um, I don't suppose you'll be, you'll be contagious or infectious in your, in your pressure suit. Mm-hmm. So, of course, he takes off—they all take off their pressure suits for most of the episode. They're in it for, like, a scene. <laughs> right. And it's, okay, so obviously we're not caring about the let's not infect people anymore. That's just gone out the window, as yeah. does Malcolm's entire cold. Right. He just mm-hmm. stops suffering from it once they get onto the Klingon ship and the main plot is underway. He's not even attempting to alter his voice or sound nasal or— coughing or anything like that. The cold just goes away because all of that was padding. Well, the cold existed for one very important scene. I mean, this is so so primary to the whole episode. When they open their pressure suits and Hoshi and DePaul react and Malcolm's like, oh, I can't smell because my cold. That literally is the whole purpose of the cold is that one scene where he doesn't smell how vile the Klingon ship is. And yes, you could say, oh, well, the Phlox's little injection finally worked when he was on the ship. But it's like, come on. Phlox no, Benadryl. <laughs> I mean, it really does show how, how much is going on in this episode that the most interesting thing about it is the ridiculousness of Malcolm's cold. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know if I'd say that's the only reason it exists, but that's the payoff. That's the just, only payoff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> also, you know, remember how exciting it was when they found Archer's Comet a few episodes ago? Yes. And and it's like, come on, there's a trillion of them in our solar system. Who cares? Mm-hmm. This is not a major discovery. Well, here we have, oh, it's a Class 9 gas giant. Yeah. And it's the boringest gas giant ever. It doesn't have <laughs> rings. It doesn't have moons. It doesn't have bands on the surface. It's like the it's it, it we don't even see the whole thing. It all we see is some orangey clouds. Yeah, and, apparently it's bigger than Jupiter though, so I guess. <laughs> but they they make it sound like this is this fascinating thing that we need to discover and it yeah. I went uh, to Paul on that one. She was she was totally yeah. unimpressed. <laughs> yeah. You got three of them in your own solar system. Why not explore those? But it's not class 9. Yeah. Ooh. They they do one thing that's a little semi interesting with it, which is when they first encounter it, they they discover that oh, it's emitting radio frequencies, which gas giants do. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jupiter yep. does that. Yeah, they do that because they have electrically active atmospheres, like Jupiter does, or they can anyway. And they play us a little bit of the radio transmissions they're getting adapted into human sound frequencies, and Mayweather says, oh, those are siren calls. That's what we called them when I was a kid on the space freighter, which is my only character trait. Yeah. (laughs) 
And what it really sounds like, though, is whale song. Right. Yes, but, my, my thought was, yeah. Scotty, Captain, there be whales here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But again, they don't do anything with that. More padding. Yeah. Like, that's just all that that's that served to, to do. So we have a ticking clock problem, right? You know, this is uh, the typical plot device of we're we're running out of time. We have a half hour. We have exactly the runtime of the episode remaining in order to solve our problem. And we will, at the very last second, solve our problem. Uh, what I find interesting is, is none of the Klingons ever awake. Like, that was the thing. I was, there was the one Klingon woman who was hiding in the freezer and escaped in the shuttle. But none of the other Klingons on board woke up, and that would have been an interesting story, right? That now I'm we're having we're trying to save you, and we're trying to deal with hostile, you know, uh, people who own the ship, trying to communicate mm-hmm. with them and trying to work together to save the ship. That would have made it more interesting, and probably would have obviated the need for padding, frankly. Uh, mm-hmm. But they didn't do that. That seemed obvious to me. Yeah, they're just all asleep from this neurotoxin, which will kill you in two days, but until then, you're apparently fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Either fine or asleep, because yes. the the female officer, Bukah, is fine. But yeah, it, and so it, it they don't, I don't, I don't think they say it, but certainly the implication that I got and that it sounded like you got, Dom, is that the local space aliens, the Zarentine, that who we never mm-hmm. see, mm-hmm. that the Klingons have been raiding, spiked their ale that they knew that with this neurotoxin that they knew the Klingons were going to take. And, and so the Klingons then raided them. And it's interesting the way Buka says, uh, describes this to Archer after the fact, she says a raid occurred. And that's not the way a person who comes from a raiding culture talks about a raid because that's the, language of this is a shameful thing and so I'm distancing myself from it by describing it in the passive voice and saying a raid occurred rather than mm-hmm. we raided them. Yes. Right? And they got the ale and they apparently the entire crew drank it and either died, fell asleep or are perfectly fine. <laughs> right, right. That was the other thing that could have been interesting too, by the way, is so we had the, the Klingons could have w- woken up or we could have had one of the Klingon vessels that Bukat was trying to contact, by the way, show up. And so Archer's mm-hmm. having to deal with, would have been having to deal with the Klingon ship in, you know, that's hostile to them outside the atmosphere and trying to save the Klingon ship inside the atmosphere. That also would have made an interesting plot device. Mm-hmm. Instead decided, of 13 hours away. <laughs> right. Like, Oh, okay. So we don't have to worry about that. Like, oh, a Klingon ship is coming from thirteen hours away. Well, that's not going to matter at all uh, to the to this episode. <laughs> I did kind of like the uh, the tour through the Klingon galley. That was kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I liked the galley. I recognized some of the vegetables from like, oh, okay, those are Chinese cucumbers. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And I liked getting to see live targ, which yes. they have in a in like a. <laughs> well, it, it, like it's like a freezer unit, right. but it's not freezing because it's just got live targ in it. And it actually made me start thinking about, ooh, targ bacon. That would be cool. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But, uh, but, but there's not much to that. Mm. 
My guess would be undercooked. <laughs> well, yeah, it might be. But I mean, I would be in. So targ bacon is an interesting concept. I, if I were a writer, I would pick that up. Yeah, that because would totally... targs targs are clearly pig like, and humans love bacon. And I would play with that concept in the writing, but they don't. Mm. Klingon boars. Yeah. Uh, so, what do you think of the solution of blowing up uh, bombs underneath the ship to raise it into in the atmosphere? You know, it seems a lot of the kind of the submarine Navy type movie of, you know, we ha- if we blast, blast a torpedo underneath us, the shockwave will push us higher so we don't get crushed. I think yeah. we've seen movies do that before. Yeah. Although that's usually how you're supposed to destroy submarines is to blow up explosions next to them underwater because mm. water doesn't compress very well. Yeah. <laughs> and, no. and shockwaves break things. They are in gas here, but then that's rather than, although it's apparently intensely pressurized gas that would be mm-hmm. sufficient mm-hmm. to crush them. So it's it's got to have the density, way more density than water, because you have to have ships pressurized at least up to two atmospheres so that mm-hmm. they don't burst in space. Mm-hmm. And this is apparently a tough Klingon ship that can stand even more than that. But it's got a low profile, and I think I think the using the photon torpedoes to push them is, I think it could have been done a lot better. Yeah, if you're going to do that, and it's done in a really paint by numbers way, where ooh, we've got to get it just right, or we're going to crack ourselves open, and and let's just launch them all. <laughs> Hoshi's the one, let's take the risk. Hoshi's <laughs> the one says, let's take all the risks. Yeah, right. so that, that kind of takes the Hoshi's new resolve is either going to be tested or it's just bad writing and answers that question. <laughs> yes. Well, well, then you get, you get they have enough time to for T'Pol to teach her some basic Vulcan meditation as they're sitting in this galley that completely grossed her out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, some visualization. Yeah. There's also, I also was distracted by the fact that they go over in these pressure suits and they have a line early on to cover it that if the ship's hull fails, they'll be crushed even though they're in their pressure suits. But they're they're in this kind of Hail Mary situation where we're doing everything we can to try to save ourselves, even if it's implausible. Mm-hmm. Put right. on your pressure suits again. That'll at least <laughs> buy you some time. Perhaps, right. Um, yeah. You know, I, but walking around and it, it just, Walking around, it's okay, even on airplanes, if there's a risk that the hull of the airplane is going to breach and it's going to depressurize, the masks drop. If right. you're walking around in a ship that you that you know is going to have a hull failure soon, keep your pressure suit on. In Don't fact, go they do running have, around in your underwear. They do have a hull failure at one point, but are you know, far enough from it that it doesn't de- you know, decompress the whole ship. But still, it's uh, the, the, they've got clear evidence that they can things can crack and not destroy the ship. So you might as well, you know, take don't take a chance. Yeah, yeah. There's also a bit where Tucker proposes. Now they brought the Enterprise down into the atmosphere at this point, but they still need to find a way to dock with this or to get to this ship or to dock with it. And why? And they're having trouble finding it because implausible reasons. Mm-hmm. But. Rather than just dock the Enterprise with this ship, which like, okay, the Enterprise has docks, you know, it's got a docking interface too. Mm-hmm. They decide to use a shuttle and Tucker says, well, we can reinforce the shuttle with unobtainium braces. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm dubious of that working because it's not the, 
uh, anyway, I'm dubious of that working. But, okay, so why is it Tucker himself and Captain Archer doing the welding? Right. It's mm-hmm. like, he's got an engineering staff. I can ma- buy Tucker maybe, do- maybe doing that, but it should be the... Captain Archer is not a professional welder. He's got uh, nothing he, else he to do. A- other things to worry <laughs> about. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and they, they did explain why they didn't take the Discovery, or the Discovery, Enterprise down, uh, because they reached the crushed death, the Enterprise, and the Klingon ship is much better, the yeah. hull is much stronger, and all this. And, and basically it was we have to get the, oh, we can't make it, so we've got to do something else. Oh, I know. Let's take this shuttle that is a tin can and try to reinforce it so that it can survive at those depths. Yeah, right. like a shuttlecraft is going to be tougher than the entire Enterprise. Well, and the captain has to fly her to it? It can't be anybody else, not Meriwether? Well, kind of kind of waving, hand, you know. That's been an issue since the original series, so I kind of yeah. give him a pass, even though, yes, it occurs to me every time he shouldn't be doing this, but... <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that's true, that's true. And he, uh, he uses his knowledge of Kling, Kling, uh, his new knowledge of Kleon psychology, because he's studied up to gain her trust. The Vulcan <laughs> database had 700 pages on them. Really? That's all? <laughs> yeah. <Right. laughs> you think from DePaul that they wrote a book? <laughs> yes, yes. We that yeah, and, and five hundred of those pages are about how Klingons don't surrender. They never give up. <laughs> they, don't, <laughs> they, they don't they want to die craft, at the, they don't <laughs> Yes, they want to die at their 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 stations. Yes, that's, also, that's a lot also, of that. So there's a bit later in the episode where they're objecting to what the humans are doing because this would be a dishonorable death for them. And I'm going, why would this be a dishonorable death? I mean it, it, it Right. It it, it 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 wasn't earlier. Yeah, passing out at your station and getting crushed in, in it that seems dishonorable to me. Uh, you didn't die in battle. You died through a well, stupid accident. Or you something. died with your yeah. boots on. You died at a you know at your station. That I I can buy that. But how has that changed? Yeah, you know later later on in the episode, why would it? I, why is it suddenly dishonorable now when it wasn't before? I I just want to say it, it seems like. This was, T'Pol doesn't really know as much about the Klingons as she thinks she does kind of thing, you know, mm-hmm. where she thinks, oh, they yeah. would see this as honorable. Now, obviously, the Klingons don't like, you know, strangers coming on their ship and trying to help them. Mm-hmm. That, that's true. But that, you know, that they would see this as an honorable death to be crushed in the, the atmosphere of a gas giant instead of in actual battle. And then we find, a, like, a real Klingon that says that would be a dishonorable death. Right. So. Yeah. This is a retreat from the complex writing we had of Klingons, because even though they were always overblown, aggressive stereotypes, I mean, they're virtually parodies, you know, of an alien race in many situations that is overly aggressive. They're like Lobo from DC Mm -hmm. Comics. You know, they're Mm ultra-violent. And Lobo, if you don't know the character, is a deliberate parody of over-violent characters. And and the Klingons often come across like that, like this is this can't be serious. But at least in other series, if you push back, they respect you. Like when mm-hmm. when Nog pushes back on Martok and Martok mm-hmm. takes a liking to him, yeah. you know, and we have none of that here. They're, here they are just one dimensional, overly aggressive stereotypes without even that second redeeming dimension. Right. Yeah, that's true. That that and that seemed to be the common way of portraying them in 
Enterprise whenever they encounter them mm-hmm. because they have to be the enemy. They have to they have to be the enemy that they're going to be at the beginning of TOS, and so therefore that they, that's the they're one dimensional, which is interesting given that Discovery for all for whatever flaws it has, at least the Klingons are multi dimensional. They have some depth. There's different kinds of Klingons in different times when we're friendly and not and that sort of thing. And they could have done that here. They just chose not to because yeah. of unimaginative writing. Right. All right, and then we end with them in decontamination. What? I, I, Which is another padding scene. Yeah. Nothing like happens I was gonna, in it. I was going to say, like, what's the point of the scene except to for the producers to put, you know, attractive characters in their underwear on screen for a couple minutes because we want to, you know, increase our teenage audience or something. At least this time they just sit there and they don't do anything suggestive. Yep. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, it is kind of weird. Although there is this little thing with T'Pol where we have this character moment where she kind of agrees with them to then do the, you know, to well, stay in there longer. To kind of, yeah, a little so, white lie. So Phlox gets on the horn and says, you can go now, your decontamination is over. And they they apparently, even though I would be bored out of my mind there, yeah. they're, all, they're all just sitting there, not even looking at their phone. They're just sitting there with their eyes closed. <laughs> in the blue light, and they're apparently treating it like this is a relaxing spa, and they don't want to go back to their work. And this emerges over the course of the little short scene that they they are enjoying this, which is implausible to me, and not what I think at the beginning of the scene. But then Hoshi and Malcolm get to Paul to lie and say that she has a headache and maybe the doctor should run some more scans so they can stay in there for 30 more minutes. Mm. Yeah. Yes, because Vulcans don't lie, as we've, yeah, as no. we've been told. Yeah, they do. We've seen them plenty of times. White lies well, you know, and black lies. Here's yeah. a stupid question with this whole decon thing. You know, Flock says, well, we've, we've taken care of all the, the microbes, mm-hmm. yet he said they don't have a cure for the common cold. Yeah, wouldn't say decontamination that takes care of all the microbes that could be with them. Uh, say take care of the common cold, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, just just a silly thought because <laughs> yeah. there because yeah. there could be viruses over it, on the Klingon ship that couldn't be treated any other way. So I mean, it is bad writing to put an incurable common cold in the same episode that you're making a point about how effective de- your decontamination is. <laughs> yeah. That's right. I mean, just a silly question. Yeah, And speaking of bad writing, so toward, in order to increase the ticking clock factor towards the end of the episode, we're told there are like two birds of prey because mm-hmm. the Klingon lady got a message off and we're told they've detected like a couple of birds of prey coming in at high warp and they're going to be here in 16 minutes. Mm-hmm. And I found it. And then that's when they solve the problem and get the ship working and everyone is conscious again, all of the crew that was asleep. And Archer is back on the uh, back on the bridge of the Enterprise, and I assume some time has passed. And I'm going because how do you do all that that quickly, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm going, wait, what happened to the Klingon birds of prey that were coming in at high warp? What, are you just not going to address them in the end of this episode and what happened with them? And then it turns out they're not here yet. So mm-hmm. this is this is implausible. You got all of that stuff done in 16 minutes. And I'm like, why aren't you dealing with, why are you just leaving? Why aren't you talking to these ships? You know, you could be talking to them on radio now. 
And right. and I I think that they were just thrown in. And you, actually, you've been taking all of this other time with padding that you could be spending on dealing with these ships. Right. Because that's where yeah. the real threat is in this, you know, is these new ships that are theoretically going to want to kill you. And you shouldn't be wasting time with all of this padding. You should be focusing on that. But I think that because the writers were so limited in their imagination about what the Klingons need to be in this episode, they couldn't think of anything more creative than just the how dare you get on our ship and try to help us stuff that we've already been doing, you know, Mm -hmm. and it would just repeat that. So they left it out. Well, then be a little more creative. Have the ship show up, and after you've saved their buddies down on the planet, say, oh, thank you so much. We appreciate that. Well, that's that what I was would saying. be a nice reversal yeah. of expectations. It would be much more yeah. creative, and it wouldn't repeat the things you've been hammering us with. It would well, show them as more complex. That's what I was saying earlier. Like, you know, have the Klingon ships show up earlier, and then have Enterprise having to deal with them in orbit while trying to save the ship in the atmosphere, and Maybe the Enterprise goes into the atmosphere in order to escape from those other ships, and and it create you create more tension, right. you create more problems, more complexity. That would be interesting. Well, and that's one way of doing it. You also could just yeah. have them do what they have here, you know, where yeah. they've saved them before the ships arrive. Yeah, but right. then have the ships arrive and be grateful. Right, right. Or have Archer using his his newfound Klingon relationship knowledge. You know how to win. How to win Klingon friends and influence Klingons, you know, knowledge that he has now. <laughs> right. You know. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, they were so creative in this that they dipped really deep for the casting. <laughs> the Klingon captain is Von Armstrong, also known as Admiral Forrest. Well, Forrest. There's, a re- there's a reason they did that. Was the guy, they actually had someone else cast, and he had to drop out at the last second. So they, they put Von Armstrong in. Uh, to, to but play. still, I mean, yeah. that, that shows how how creative they were with this. Is they just said, "Oh, you're already on the cast, so let's let's just bring you in." Yeah, I guess, I guess, yeah. He, he's actually played. I think he played a Klingon once before uh, uh, in a different series. I think in TNG, I think, which is interesting. Uh, so he knew how to do it. Uh, anything left to say about this episode? Glad it's done. <laughs> okay, uh, Jimmy. Nah. Okay. Uh, I want to get to our listener feedback, but first, we want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Patrick C., Heidi M., Helen O., Michael S., and Eric R. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. Uh, We have some feedback from our good friend, Father Andrew Kinstetter, the host of the Secrets of Star Wars, right here hey. on SQPN. And uh, he said uh, on our Galaxy Quest discussion, he says, I loved your Galaxy Quest episode. I had a particular perspective to share regarding meeting celebrities at conventions. Mm-hmm. I agree with what you guys said. In my experience at cons, I've gone to many Comic-Cons, and I wear my priest collar with a geeky shirt, so I end up being approached more than normal for that, too, and experience a bit of the celebrity side of things as well, just to a drastically smaller degree. My experience as an attendee has been similar in that celebrities tend to be themselves, not their characters at cons, although they talk about their characters a lot. In particular, I was almost surprised by one encounter with an actress, Jenna Coleman from Doctor Who, Mm -hmm. uh, who I immediately identified as an introvert. My interaction with her was not as interactive as I thought thought it would be because her character she played was much more outgoing. As I reflected on it later, although at first I was disappointed because I was hoping for more interaction, 
I quickly came to realize as an introvert myself, I could totally relate to that and quickly left my disappointment behind, was happy for an encounter I had with the person she is, not the character she played. On the other hand, I also encountered Alex Kingston, who plays River Song, and he, and she had almost the exact same personality as River Song. Yeah, so I can see act- that. Yeah, some actors mirror their characters more than others. And he says, thanks for an awesome discussion on definitely my favorite Star Trek episode of all time. It is it is interesting, though, when you do see, again, as I said when we talked about Galaxy Quest, that I had not ever been to a con. I've never met, you know, any you know major celebrity like that. But when you do see, like, documentaries where you can kind of tell you're seeing some of the actual actor and you're like, now I see why that character is the way they are because that's exactly who the actor is. Right. Yeah. They just played themselves, basically. Right. Some actors are, they, they are character actors in the sense of they they create a character and they inhabit it. And some actors just do themselves in in a role. You know, Nicolas Cage comes to mind for that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm fascinated by what actors... So in the context of a panel discussion, like at a convention, it can be interesting to hear what the actors have to say. But like you may remember some years ago when DVDs were first coming out and they'd have commentary tracks. Mm-hmm by the director and the writer and then one for the actors and stuff. After a while, I learned not to listen to the actor commentary tracks because the Mm -hmm. actors just do not have insight on what's going on. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, we filmed this with cameras and yeah, oh, that day was so hard. Remember that? And I'm much more interested in hearing what the producers and the directors have to say and the writers have to say. Yeah, I would say that's pretty much tracks with my experience. I, I used to follow different actors like on Twitter or, or various social media. I mm-hmm. stopped after a while because I realized yeah. that's not something I want to do. <laughs> well, it's it's kind of funny to think of that actors usually don't actually see the entire episode. Yeah. They film them out of order. You know, like they'll film, like sometimes where they'll have maybe like two or three episodes in a location, they'll film those chunks from the, that location. Yeah. And then film the rest of the episodes wherever else they're going to be. So yeah. they Especially- don't really just go through start to end with, episodes so. I, I think actors are much better when they're not commenting on an episode when they're just yeah. sharing stories and can lie and make up entertaining stuff <laughs> yes <laughs> that's right that's right all right uh, thank you father andrew for your feedback on that we really appreciate it so that's it from us what did you think of this episode of enterprise sleeping dogs you can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek or our facebook page at facebook.com slash media or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the Discovery first season Discovery episode, Vaulting Ambition. Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thanks, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thank you, and kapla. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, if Klingon sense a leader is weak, they'll try to kill him and take command. Let's hope that doesn't happen with podcasts. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to a special patron-only episode of The Secrets of Star Trek. Joining me today are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Hi, Jimmy, and Father Corey Stiga. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? I threw myself off for a second there. Uh, So, Star Trek First Contact Day is April 5th, and it's Star Trek's attempt to recreate what Star Wars does with May the 4th. And so we had April 5th this past week, and Paramount Plus, the 
parent company of all of the Star Trek properties, used the occasion to make all kinds of announcements about upcoming Star Trek uh, uh, productions. That's what I want to say. And so as a special benefit to you, our patrons, we're discussing all the news and the trailers for the new seasons of existing shows and some all new shows. So let's uh, jump into it. First, I, I should mention what we don't have is we don't have news on we don't have much news on strange new worlds that's the captain pike series that's coming we just know we already knew that it was in production and that we have a cast uh so that's about it on that uh, any uh, anything else you guys know on that besides 2022 is supposedly the date they're gonna re- is sometime end of 2022 is supposedly when it's supposed to come out that's all okay. we really know right now so okay but uh we we will have anson mount and ethan peck and rebecca remain and uh, all of that. So that and plus some new crew members, actors I don't really recognize, but probably people, you know, with the crew of the ship. Um, I, I'm I'm excited to have another uh, story where we feature the Enterprise. Like, like, I mean, that's that seems to be Star Trek. If, to if me. they write if they write Strange New Worlds as well as they did the 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 Pike, the Pike episodes season? of mm-hmm. Pike season of Discovery, it should be really good. And if they do. It, there's rumors that they're going to go back to the more of the story of the week type episodes instead of the big overarching storyline uh-huh. that actually could work really well for that. You know, if they do like a 10 episode, you know, it's just in independent stories of the enterprise type of thing. Cool. cool. And even, even the title of the series suggests that. And I think they've indicated pretty strongly and that that's the direction they're headed. I mean, there may be some season arc, but it may be more right. like what we get on Dr. Who. Yeah. Yep. Where yeah. it's kind of a tag on to the episodes, but so that'll be nice. That'll be nice to see kind of the you know alien of the week, planet of the week type of thing again. Because I, I know people have been calling for that with Discovery being basically here's the big story arc, and we're going to talk about it. Right, right. Well, another uh, series that does uh, story of the week so far is Lower Decks, which we're mm-hmm. going to get first. We're going to get a twelve episode season starting August twelfth of twenty twenty one this year, uh, and we got a trailer which was a lot of fun. It seems just mm-hmm. as madcap as the first season was, right? And they're picking up from where they left off, which has uh, Boimler on the Titans. Yes. And, uh, but he's going to apparently fairly quickly work his way back over to um, the ship with the others. The Cerritos. Right. Well, yeah. he's, he's, he's seeing that being on a hero ship isn't quite all as cracked <laughs> up to be as they're being you know blasted and Riker's using strange uh, jazz, uh, jazz, jazz references. And, yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> well, and that means that we're going to get Jonathan Frakes back as, as the over-the-top Riker, which is uh, just a, a delight because Riker already is kind of over-the-top, so Getting this portrayal of him is just a lot of fun. I really have, I really enjoy that. Uh, he fits well in a comedic context. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Mike McMahon, yeah. the showrunner for Lower Decks, has said that other series like Deep Space Nine are going to be incorporated into the series as well. Because we've so we've had TNG mm-hmm. brought in, like with Riker and that sort of stuff. But we're going to get connections to other series uh, that have preexisted as well. So that should be interesting. There, there is one TNG reference that we get in this this teaser where we get Mariner and the uh, Cardassian. Four, there are four lights interrogation yes, yes. room. Yeah, yes, yeah, she, she's with uh, Gul Madred and she's got him in a headlock, which <laughs> it looks pretty funny. Uh, there's also another TNG reference, which is uh, we see Mariner wearing the uh, the outfit for the Embo Jitsu Ultimate Martial oh. Art. <laughs> from one of the worst early <laughs> TNG episodes. Yes, it's it's the ultimate martial art because you can't see your opponent. 
because <laughs> hmm. they have a uh, uh, visors Visor. on that blind yep. them. Yep. Yeah. So that was from Icarus Factor with the TNG second season. Uh, we get some TOS references. We get the Mugatu, the horned mm-hmm. white gorillas. White gorilla. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The gorilla unicorn. Yeah. Which Ransom talks about in the first season. Ransom is the uh, executive officer of Cerritos. Uh, he talks about encountering them in the first season. But we're apparently going to see Mugatu and the Mugatu are going to be uh, menacing some Denobulans, which are Dr. Flox's race, uh, which mm-hmm. we haven't seen s- since Enterprise. Uh, so that's interesting. And uh, packleds are back. Packleds were a major problem at the end of the first season. Right. And if you don't remember them, they're from the Samaritan Snare, which is a bad uh, TNG episode. The packleds are like obese and dim-witted. And, yeah. and it's like, make ship go fast now. <laughs> right. Yet they're spacefaring, so we are strong. Yeah. <laughs> they're kind of s- scavenger race, that kind of deal. I think one of the things that that lower decks does really well is they take all of these bad elements, like not just exclusively. Mm-hmm. Like Four Lights was a, was one of the best TNG episodes, so they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're doing that. But they what they really excel is taking the things that we all as fans go, oh, 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 and they they turn them into funny bits. They turn them into. Yeah fun aspects of the show which is what ds9 did with the ferengi and totally yep. redeemed them right right exactly yes because exactly. the ferengi were horrible on tng yes and then as we talked about on the the episode the, the nagus they turned them into something completely different and ma- redeemed the, the the ferengi so any anything else you want to say about the new season of lower decks that we got coming well, not in particular, but if people want to see these trailers, they can go on YouTube and just type in the right. name of the series and trailer. Yeah, I'll have and links there are also, also. Yeah, there are also analysis videos with like, here's all the stuff from the trailer. I'll put a bunch of links on the Patreon post that you'll you'll see uh, on, on Patreon. Father Corey, what do you think of this? What we saw of from this trailer? Oh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to it. I, I you know, I I wasn't I wasn't sure about Lord X when it first came out and I fall in love with it and I can't yeah. wait. I can't wait to August. So it's August 12th is when the first episode is going to drop and I can't wait. Yeah. And they'll, they'll drop weekly. They said that they're going to go weekly. And this time I think we're all in agreement. We're going to cover these like we would a regular like, you know, live action Star Trek series week mm-hmm. by week. We'll cover it because Lower Decks does deserve to have a week by week treatment. Uh, because and I up. feel entirely vindicated in that decision because yeah. that's what I said from the start. <laughs> yeah, we, my- we can argue about it and <laughs> we decided to do it as the, the patron exclusive. And it's like, no, this needs to be a regular. Frankly, this needs to be a regular episode compared to. The next thing we're going to talk about, yeah, yeah. but I do, I do. That actually gives me an idea, Jimmy, for some swag. There was some merchandise. I'm going to, we're going to need to make a Jimmy was right t-shirt. <laughs> that, that, would, that would be a good shirt to have. Jimmy was right. Uh, we could use that for a lot of different uh, shows. So, uh, all right. So that's that's pretty much it for Lower Decks. There was a bunch of Easter eggs in the trailer, just like they oh, always yeah. do. They're dropping lots of references to uh, all the different other Star Treks. But uh, let's talk about Discovery. Apparently, Discovery. So uh, there'll be twelve episodes of Lower Decks starting mid-August. My guess is Discovery will co- will follow on immediately after the end of that season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And because it does say 2021, that doesn't leave a whole lot of 2021 uh, left after that. So Discovery is back. Uh, we have in the trailer, we're, we're told right off the bat to, that the theme in this season is togetherness. 
and we're not alone. Yes. Uh, what a spoiler, Dom. I mean, <laughs> leaves a dramatic tension for people. <laughs> yes, we're we're all together again. Uh, Burnham is clearly now the captain, which is kind of funny yep. given that the big the big thing about Discovery when they were talking about it was this is going to be a series that doesn't focus on the captain, but on the other parts of the crew. Well, I guess you just realized he couldn't sustain that. You have to have a captain, and the captain is, by definition, the leader. Well, it wasn't even the captain. It was just Burnham. It was the focus. Because even the other parts of the crew for the first season were anonymous, other than Lorca and Saru. Right. And And all of a sudden, yeah, Yeah. and Tilly. But, you know, it's like half the bridge crew, it's like, who are these people? And only finally in the last season or two, we've kind of figured out who they are. So Kind of. Kind kind of. of. (laughs) Right. So I will say I like the new uniforms. I like the new I, uniforms. I was going to comment. Everyone's wearing Babylon Five uniforms now. Yeah, <laughs> right. They well, do. They do look more military. They do look more, you know, more professional than the previous well, ones. So. And they look like the rest of Star Trek, right? They don't, mm-hmm. They're not the blue jumpsuit of the Enterprise, you know, vintage. You because know, it sort of should be. It's kind of a uh, evolution from the Enterprise, but now it looks like the rest of the series. With the red and the yellow and or gold, sorry. And although and hospital and medical is still white, but I think uh, science is is blue. Uh, blue. Yeah, I think they're still doing that. So Burnham's captain. Where is Saru? We do see him in the trailer, though. Yeah, so he's apparently going to be in the series, but I don't know how much. Yeah, we do see other Kelpians. So when we ended season three, he was going on. He was with... Uh, the the Kelpian who destroyed the universe and mm-hmm. was going to reintroduce him to Kelpian. So maybe that's what he's doing in this season is finding his people and bringing this guy back, perhaps. So there's that. Um, mm-hmm. I have heard a rumor that we're going to get a Denobulan character who plays a regular role this season. So I hmm. thought that was interesting. Yeah, they didn't show him yet. They, you know, yeah. they showed that uh, uh, the Trill storyline is going to continue and, and, it's pretty clear that this is going to be now we're going to make the Federation come together again. You know, well, let's mention that because there's Admiral Vance is going to be back clearly because we hear his voice and we don't see mm-hmm. him. But we looks like we see some Federation civilian leader who's like shaking hands with the Vulcan leader in what may be the beginning of a reconciliation with the Federation. And there's some big new threat that apparently is going to be what they're going to use to drive everybody back together. Yep. Right. A, gr- a, a super anomaly, a super a, gravitas, gravitational anomaly. Right. Five years, five light years across that moves at random through the galaxy. So, um, well, you got to have something, I suppose. And it's yeah. as good as anything. So, something we might want to talk about is something Father uh, Corey alluded to. Uh, we really, as a group, all three of us have said we enjoy lower decks and want mm-hmm. to talk about it. it. We also privately have talked about, and publicly, I think, have talked about our lack of enthusiasm for discovery. And one of the things that we've noticed is our download numbers for the podcast drop when we're going through a discovery season, perhaps because not everybody has the Paramount Plus or, you know, for whatever reason, they're not enthusiastic about discovery. But we may, as a result, fold discovery into our regular rotation rather than covering it every week, week by week, when the new season is on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and that's something that, you know, our patrons could help 
guide us in because yeah. if they're really enthusiastic about no 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 we want to we want to hear discovery broken down live as it's released we'd want to know about that mm-hmm. but on the other hand if the patron feeling is yeah we're not as excited about this and and we'd rather hear about other potentially more interesting episodes as part of the regular rotation, then maybe we'll put Discovery in the regular rotation. We don't plan at this point on not covering it, but right. we just may mm-hmm. not cover it live. We'll we'll do like we're doing with season one right now, where we're going back and talking yeah. about each episode as we come through in rotation, and we'll just jump to season four when that time when we right. finish up season one. But as you said, we, we were so enthusiastic about Lower Decks that we're going to go through Lower Decks as it comes out, just because yeah. uh, we know it's going to be it's good. awesome. Uh, <laughs> it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> but then that raises some questions about how we handle Picard as well later on, especially if we haven't gotten through all of Discovery's fourth season and the new Picard starts, and how do we deal with that? And do we? And that's more things that patrons can give us exactly. feedback about. Yes, yes. we'd love to hear. What do your... you want to hear? Yeah, you really help guide how we do the show. So we, we want to hear from you on what you would like. All right, now let's move on to Picard, because that was the next uh, show that they they talked about. And Picard is coming in 2022 when we don't know. There's sort of a, a an unknown time frame on that, but 2022. And the big takeaway from the, se- the second season of Picard is the return of Q. John Delancey and, is coming and back. Time travel. And time travel. And time travel, which Patrick Stewart uh, referenced. He said, we're going to be look- seeing all kinds of new places and times. He said this in the, the mm-hmm. first contact day interview. So there's clearly going to be uh, time travel. John Delancey, in his interview, referred to a shattering moment in Picard's life. So another uh, clue to what this season is going to be about. We know that Whoopi Goldberg is coming back to do Guinan. Um, And if Picard is going through time and presumably his own timeline, then perhaps we're going to see a bunch of other characters from that we've we've either heard referenced or seen previously in Star Trek. And apparently there's a Deep Space Nine tie-in because visually, they don't talk about it, but visually in whether it's the real Chateau Picard, you know, den or it's the Mm -hmm. holographic Chateau Picard den, we see a reconstruction of an artifact from Bajor that Mm -hmm. we've seen before in Deep Space Nine in the episode The Reckoning, where the Bajoran archaeologists have dug up this artifact. It's got a bunch of writing on it. It says, Welcome Emissary. And it sets up this event called The Reckoning, which they never fully explored. I mean, they got interrupted. Yeah, yeah, it got interrupted involving the Paw Wraiths and the Prophets. And then Cisco smashed the uh, the artifact and Kai Wynn actually was the one who interrupted it. But it looks mm-hmm. like Picard has the remains of that artifact and has largely put it back together. And since the prophets are also wibbly wobbly, timey wimey, that mm-hmm. could be part of what's going on, too. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. And we, we see in his, his studio a, a model, of the stargazer looking, you know, abused. So we might see the actual battle that caused him to. Vacate right. the stargazer, abandon the stargazer, and so on. And that so would have been another shattering moment in his history, yep. right? Yes, and uh, losing your losing your ship and yep. his best friend, uh, uh, Beverly Crusher's husband, yeah, yeah, Jack, mm-hmm. yeah. Jack, yep. Um, 
we also in in the in the so the teaser is a kind of a fly through the is the the office at the Chateau Picard, right? And there's a whole bunch mm-hmm. of things uh, that are little Easter eggs. Uh, we have the painting of the Enterprise D and the volumes of Shakespeare that were in Picard's ready room, as well as mm-hmm. a sextant from the ready room, um, an alien there's artifact. Yeah, there's his chair from his his office chair from his quarters. With that also has the. Uh, Mintakin tapestry that he gets from the proto Vulcans mm-hmm. from that episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, Who watches the Watchers? Or I think is what it yep. is. Um, there's we see a very close uh, close up of two books uh, uh, stacked on each other: Paradise Lost, Milton's Paradise Lost, and a Dixon Hill novel, The Long Dark Tunnel, which is a, a not a real book. It's from the mm-hmm. TNG episode, and it's credited to Tracy Torme, who is a writer from the, uh, Original. the first season of TNG. Yeah. Right. So she what I'm really came up hoping, yeah, yeah. What I'm really hoping for in this one is the return of Benjamin Sisko. Mm. Yes, I think that would be very interesting to see Avery Brooks come back because, yeah, because Sisko, you know, went into the the wormhole and there was never, I, I there was always the hope. My hope, let me put it that way, was we'd get from uh, TNG movies to DS9 movies, and we never got that. Mm-hmm. Because I want to find out what happens to Cisco. Why did he go into the thing? What what was the reason? Why was he chosen? All that sort of stuff. Well, as you know, that was all a patched up thing at the last minute because the original plan was to turn him into a prophet. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and that was Iris Stephen Burr's plan. And Benjamin Cisco said, whoa, wait a minute. Um, Cisco has just conceived a child. I don't like the messaging of a black man abandoning his family. He right. cannot mm-hmm. just go become a prophet. And so they had the I'll be back sometime, maybe tomorrow and maybe yesterday thing. Yeah. 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 And I know in books they did recover his character. His character yes. came back. But of course, in, unlike Star Wars, there's really no canon in at least alpha canon in books in right. Star Trek. That's right. That's right. They don't, they don't work. They don't all work together. Uh, so uh, yeah, the, the DS9 tie, DS9 tie-in would be very interesting. And I'd, I'd be curious to see how they would do that. Um, or whether maybe it's just, we get O'Brien back because he's a TNG, mm-hmm. you know, and we have Cole Meany show up. That would be really cool too. Actually. Yeah, he's, he really didn't sound very interested in, in reprising his character. He, no. he did an interview a couple of, about a month or so ago and he, oh, okay. he's like, nah, I really don't want to go back. You know, you it, call, was, it was Cole Meany. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he, he really didn't sound interested in in co- going back reprising O'Brien. So interesting. Uh, it does what look a, like Q obviously is going to be a big part of the season, though. I yeah, think yeah. it's going to be like it's going to be like the overarch is going to be because at the end, John Delancey laughs and says the trial it, it the never, never ends, ends or the trial yeah. the trial never ends. So I think it's going to be like we're going to go back to the trial. Yeah. Also, so that you know the trial shows up in the pilot encounter at Farpoint, and then it shows up in the fin- series finale, All Good Things. And then there's that there's that episode in the middle where Picard, uh, you know, sort of dies and has It's a Wonderful Life, where yeah. um, Q takes him back to a key turning moment where he was stabbed through the heart by a Nausicaan and how he reacted to that and how it led to him either becoming or not becoming the man he is. So I'm guessing we're going to be playing heavily with that theme, only we're going to go back to the Stargazer this time. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, to to kind of lead lead us in that direction, visually in the, te- the teaser, it ends with a view of a Queen of Hearts 
card playing card on a table and it, as it blows away and leaving only the cue behind and then then we hear now the the one of the youtube videos that an, analyzes the trailer makes a, a a point which says in the first season of picard we saw the, the that queen of hearts playing card in the dream sequence with data at the very beginning where data plays a hand of five queen of queens of hearts or queen of hearts cards and I wonder, is this a data reference as well? Maybe because if he goes or, back in time, or it it could be somehow they've set up the Q thing very subtly in season one. Yeah, mm. yeah. I mean, the, it, time travel makes everything possible. It means you could you could encounter any character, living or dead, and so I, that's why, why I was thinking of perhaps mm -hmm. uh, Data would be back because he was so popular <laughs> last season. But uh, we don't know anything about the rest of the crew right everyone that that uh raffi or whatever we haven't heard like i think we've heard externally but we don't see them in anything about them in the teaser right no but they're a part they're apparently his regular crew now okay mm -hmm. all right so and brent spiner is supposed to be back we're playing soon yeah. inigo soon all right so that would be season two of picard and uh we'll we'll see how that goes and uh the fourth series am i right am i uh, mm -hmm. counting right is yeah. a is called star trek prodigy i don't have a date on this i don't know if you guys saw a date when they expect this to come out but my guess is next year yeah i think it was 2022 this is the nickelodeon series it's computer generated animation and it's about my sense is it's basically space cases um, I don't know if you may recall back in the 90s, Bill Moomy and Peter David created a series called Space Cases about a group of it was live action. It was about a group of misfit kids from different planets who find a spaceship and get lost in space and have a Voyager like experience played partly for comedy and partly for drama. Okay. And with a great twist at the beginning of the second season where it turns out one character's imaginary friend has been real all this time. Oh. Um, but uh, it was meant to go three seasons. It only went two. But this prodigy thing sounds a lot like it because apparently we have a multiracial cast from different planets of young people who find a mysterious derelict spaceship and are under the command of Captain Janeway from Lost in yep. Space. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. So Admiral Janeway. After Kate Mulgrew is coming back and she's going to reprise the character, but she's going to be an emergency training hologram in the form ah. of Janeway. And oh, okay. Yeah. And it takes place in the Delta Quadrant five years after the events of Star Trek Voyager's finale. So uh, they so they must come upon either like a Delta Flyer. I don't know if that gets left behind or a shuttle or something, some Voyager technology that had, that had gotten left behind. And Janeway's emergency training hologram is is in it and helps them in their adventures. So most. And appar apparently one of the characters is said to have connections to the original series. So interesting. Not sure exactly what that's about. Mm. Uh, it does look from the animation that all the, all the characters aside from Janeway are non-human, presumably non-Federation mm -hmm. given that they're in the Delta quadrant. So we'll see how that goes and whether that, whether that works or not. Uh, so it should be interesting. Anything else? Uh, I don't think th there wasn't a lot of information otherwise about that series that I could find. No, there's also been a um, there's also and they've kept that one pretty close to the vest mm -hmm. so far. Um, there's also a, a 
scheduling at least of mm-hmm. another Star Trek movie. Right. That's what I was going to get mm-hmm. to next. Yeah. Uh-huh. They, they uh, June 9th, 2023. So at least two years out. They've put Pretty it on the now. schedule. So that uh, that doesn't mean they doesn't uh, mean much. Yeah. They mm. don't, may not even have a script or a director or anybody yet. They just said we want. Well, they got it's a. We, they know it's a JJ movie, but beyond that, did we have we been told? Because even that, I didn't get the sense that we even I, had I that much. It, I thought it sounded like that. It, at least you know it was a. If it was going to happen, it was going to happen with JJ Abrams type of deal. Yeah, I, I got. I believe I I got that, but I didn't get whether it's going to be another Kelvin timeline or something else. Yeah, right. There, there's no there's no details of plot, and and let's be honest, right now I'm just like, eh, whatever. I, I haven't even finished watching the last of those by Simon Pegg. Well, yeah. the interesting. So we've had so many rumors of new Star Trek movies over the last few years because we had the Quentin Tarantino R-rated Star mm-hmm. Trek movie, which apparently is now dead. We've had Noah Hawley from who's you've uh, like, what is he? He did Fargo a, is the movie he's known for Fargo. OK, yeah. So he was going to do uh, a Kelvin timeline movie. Um, there, there was a talk of a, a Pike, um, not Pike, Christopher Pines, Kirk, with his father, George Kirk, played by Chris Hemsworth. That would have happened, which actually would have been fun. Uh, but that's apparently not going to happen. So there's no no idea of what this would be. And a lot of this has to do with corporate politics and how Paramount and CBS were separate and Paramount owned movie rights and CBS owned TV rights, and they neither of the twins should meet, which is how we ended up with a Kelvin timeline because they had to reboot mm-hmm. it because that's all they could do. And now they're again under the same corporate parent, I think, or something. Something has yep. changed yeah. where they can have more cooperation. And so Viacom, which owned Paramount, bought CBS. Okay. That's and put it under the CBS label. So now it's all CBS Paramount. And that's why now CBS All Access is Paramount Plus. Um, right. It, you know, and the one issue with, with like the Pine, uh, Chris Pine and Chris Hemsworth uh, movie is in 2009, both of them were relatively unknown. Yeah. <laughs> now both of them are big buck actors. So. Right. Right. And apparently financial considerations were what made that Star Trek four thing fall apart. Yep. Um, now, also, we should be cautious about this because when studios announce dates for franchise tent poles like this, mm-hmm. um, they're essentially marking territory mm-hmm. and saying right. we're planning on putting something out on this date as a signal to other studios. Exactly. Put your thing, unless you want to go directly up against us, know that we're putting something out here. So you can schedule yours away from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's effectively a kind of cartel thing, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, to where they're publicly kind of negotiating release dates. But that doesn't mean this is going to happen. They, right. they These dates get announced and then the project falls apart or spins forever in development hell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's yeah. Although, on the other hand, just as a sort of devil's advocate version of that uh, or other kind of version of the of way to approach that is now that they have the whole Paramount plus property with all of this Star Trek, uh, you know, being created all these series, creating a movie to continue to draw attention to that. I mean, this is what Disney has famously done with its MCU and Star Wars properties. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just from everything that Paramount is doing with first contact day and what I'm going to talk about next, uh, it seems like they're 
following the Star Wars model very closely. So I'd be curious to see mm-hmm. if they are going to try to make something that connects with the existing series on Paramount Plus. That would be an I interesting. Just, I just had a uh, kind of a nasty thought instead <laughs> of Discovery Season 5. What's, what's that? Instead of Discovery Season 5, oh, have a Discovery movie. Oh, that could be. Yeah, that would be interesting. Then then just move it into the into the movies. Okay. I predict it won't do well. <laughs> I, no, I know. No, yeah. I know. I just that's why I said it was kind of a nasty thought. I was like, oh, I don't want to see that. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> so that would be and so that's really all we know about a Star Trek movie is a date. Uh the only other thing mm-hmm. I want to mention is that they've put on a schedule uh Star Trek Mission Chicago in April twenty twenty two, which is an, a fan convention a la Star Wars, uh, their, uh, what do they call it? The Star Wars experience that they do mm-hmm. every year. Star um, Wars Celebration. Celebration, that's right. Um, so big, I big event. lots of piece of the action cosplay if they're doing this in Chicago. <laughs> I know, it definitely should be. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it'll, it'll be, they're trying to you know get the same buzz and they, they, it would coincide with First Contact Day, April 5th. And it's, that would be, have all the actors there and all that sort of stuff. They're doing it the wrong place. They they can't do it in Chicago. It's it's first contact day. Where did first contact happen? Bozeman, <laughs> Montana, I which don't is know. only about two hundred miles from me. I, I don't know. <laughs> Not even they that. have the convention facilities there. For that. <laughs> uh, they've got a major university there, so yeah, they yeah, can yeah. find it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, I just I'm just noting that because it'd be a lot easier. I could just drive to Bozeman yeah. for it instead of <laughs> Chicago. But I, I'm 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 with you. Actually, they should have it here in Boston because they're going to be unveiling a Leonard Nimoy statue at the museum of Science in Boston oh, yeah. in honor of our native son, Leonard Nimoy. It's going to be the uh, the Vulcan hand salute, which comes from a Jewish uh, prayer hand gesture uh, that uh, Leonard Nimoy adapted. But uh, that's that's really cool. I just wanted to mention that. And they're fundraising for that now. So, so are, is it just the hand gesture or is it a whole body? Just a hand. Nimoy? Just okay. a hand. Just a hand. Yeah. It, talk to the hand. Okay. Talk, it'll be a giant <laughs> hand. Uh, so, uh, yeah. That's kind of cool. I've seen the the renderings of what it's going to look like. It's going to be pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It is pretty cool. And uh, the nice thing is, yeah, I, I don't want to get spend too much time on it. It's a personal interest to me, but uh, it's it's really cool. So that's that's all the Star Trek news I've been able to pull together based on all this stuff. It's an exciting time for Star Trek fans. There's lots happening. Lots of new stuff coming, and that's that's really good to hear. Uh, anything left to say about this, uh, Father Corey? Nothing here. Jimmy? Nothing here. Nope. All right. Well, I, I want to throw it to you, uh, patrons. Let us know what you think in, of any of this, what we talked about, and uh, what you're interested in, what you'd like to see us do. So we, we do want to hear from you. Uh, we do want to take a moment to thank you, our patrons, who make it possible for us to create the Secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. We could not do this without your continued financial support. So uh, let us know about what you think by visiting this post on Patreon, leaving some feedback there, or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. You can always subscribe to The Secrets of Star Trek. Follow it by visiting sqpn.com slash trek. There are links there to all the various podcast directories. Until next time, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing The Secrets of Star Trek. Thanks, Dom. Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. <laughs>